we are going to be talking about the way that God transforms us and the need in our life to leave those things behind that hinder us in our relationship with God as well if we're going to experience real, real freedom and real joy. Would you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3? We'll be looking at verses 5 to 11. We're moving into a section where Paul is talking about how we live the Christian life. And in that, you'll see both in the book of Colossians and also if you're reading Ephesians, you'll see where Paul uses these terms that we are to put off certain things in our life and we are to put on others. Today we're going to deal with what it is that we are to put off in our life, the sin that we are to put behind. Next week we're going to talk about those things that we are to put on that we might grow in Christlikeness, the habits of the new life. And so I titled this message, Learning to Live as a Child of the King. And let's uh, take a look at verses 5 to 11. I'd like to read it for us. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming, and you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning and we talk about sins of the flesh, things that are part of this world and part of our life and maybe that we are struggling with even today. Father, I pray that you would help us to be open and honest with you this morning, to not put up defenses, but to hear what you want to say to us today that we might experience real freedom in Christ. That we would not try to carry along baggage with us that you want us to let go of so that we might grow in our relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to do that. To experience the victory, the freedom, and the joy that you desire for all of your children. We ask it in your name. Amen. I want to start this morning by sharing a story that I came across. It was written by Craig Barnes. He's a pastor and an author. And it's a good picture of what God does in our life when we come to know him. Here's what he said. When I was a child, my minister father brought home a 12-year-old boy named Roger. Roger's parents had died of a drug overdose and there was no one to care for him. And so my father decided that we would bring Roger into our family and treat him as though he were one of our own. At first, it was quite difficult for Roger to adjust to his new home. He was now living in an environment free of heroin-addicted adults. And you can think about how different his world would be moving out of that family environment and the chaos of that into now a home where Christ is honored. And Craig said, I would hear my parents many times saying to Roger, 
No, no, that's not how we behave here. No, no, you don't have to scream or fight or yell or hurt to get attention or to get what you want. No, Roger, we expect you to show respect in this family. Now, did Roger have to make all those changes in order to become part of the family? No. He had been accepted into the family by the grace of my father. But because he was a part of the family, did he have to learn how to live differently in order to be a part of that family? Yes, he did. And was that hard for Roger? Yes, it was hard. There were a lot of things that he had to let go of and relearn. It was tough for him to change, but he worked at it. And he was motivated by the gratitude for the incredible love that he had been shown. Now think about that in terms of our relationship to Christ. We have been adopted into Christ's family. And now we need to learn what it means to live as a child of the King. You can go ahead and put that first point up. That all of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, we've placed our trust in Him as our Savior and Lord. We have been brought into His family. But there's a lot that we need to learn about what does it mean to live as a child of the King. And do we make changes in our life in order to earn our place in God's family? Not at all. Not at all. We could never do enough to earn our place in God's family. It is a gift that we receive by grace when we place our faith in His Son. We make those changes in our life because of our gratitude for what God has done for us. When we understand how much He loves us and His desire for our life, we want to do the things that are pleasing to Him. And in this process of change, there is a part that God must do and there's a part that we must do. We can't make ourselves be born again. We can't give ourselves new life in Christ. That's a gift that we receive from God. But because we have been born again by the Spirit of God and because of the gifts that He has given to us, now God expects that we would walk in obedience and put those things into good use that He has given to us. We are to put off the old nature and the things of the flesh And we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean to live as a child of the King? There are three points that I want to bring out from this text this morning. The first is this. We must put to death sexual sins. We must put to death sexual sins. And we see that in verses 5 to 7. He begins by saying, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. The command there to put these things to death is really a strong command. It is very much like Jesus' statement in Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9, when Jesus said this. He said, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. 
Imagine that you were sitting with Jesus that day when he spoke those words. And you were in the crowd or in the group where he was speaking about the danger of sin. And you heard him say that. I mean, those words are powerful. They cut to the heart. They bring conviction about things that are going on in our life. Jesus did not mean that literally we should cut off our hand or gouge out our eye or we would all be blind and lame. Because there's none of us who hasn't sinned in some way. But he was making a very, very strong point that we need to deal ruthlessly with sin. That sin is serious business and we are not to give sin any quarter in our life. We're not to think that somehow we can invite Christ into our life and then kind of keep Christ in one little corner of our life and then we have all these other things that we do in other areas and that's my business. When Christ comes into our life, it's like He comes into our home and He wants to be in every room and have access to everything in our life and He begins to clear that out. Clear out the junk and bring in the new. And He wants us to be a part of that process of growing in Christ. You see, these commands are only possible when we have been born again by the Spirit of God. These commands are only possible when we have placed our faith in Christ and we've experienced the new life that He came to give. And we understand the truth of the Scripture that says that we died with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. My old nature died with Him on the cross. And now I am to consider that so and live differently. That's our part in the process. So here Paul says we are to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. And he gives us these examples. Things like sexual immorality. The word in Greek is Porneia, and it is a broad word that would refer to things like premarital sex, adultery, homosexual sex, pornography, prostitution, and you could add other things to that too. But those are just examples of sexual immorality that God says for the Christian are sin. They are out of bounds. And it doesn't matter what the world says. I mean, the world comes along and maybe it says, you know, that, well, you know, You really should live together before marriage to check things out and make sure this is going to work or you're compatible. doesn't matter what the world says. What the world says is folly. What God says is truth. And the world comes along and wants to say that homosexual behavior is okay. That's just fine. That's normal behavior. And God comes and He says that homosexual sex is sin. There are people who think that pornography is just fine. They want to protect it as a freedom of speech, you know, and say, we have a right to this, or we ought to be able to do this, and look at whatever we want. And God says, it is sin. And the same with prostitution. There are those who would like to legalize that or say that that's no big deal. God says it is a big deal. In fact, He will call it idolatry. God takes sin very seriously. And so it doesn't matter again what the world says about any of these things. It's His opinion that matters most in the final day. And in order to change then our outward behavior and to put these things behind us, we've got to deal with the heart. Otherwise, we're just dealing with symptoms that are on the surface and we're never getting to the heart of the matter. And the way that you get to the heart is by putting to death things like impurity, impure thoughts, 
lust, uncontrolled passions, and sexual desires, evil desires of any kind. And you do that by guarding what you put into your mind, what you're looking at or thinking about, or when those thoughts come, you take them immediately to Jesus Christ. You take those thoughts before Him and you acknowledge them as wrong. And you just don't go down that path. You don't try to see how close you can get to sin without sinning or think that you can dwell upon things in your mind and nobody's going to know or see or it's not going to make any difference for me. It will. It does make a difference. What we think about will show up in our behavior. And we see that time and time again in our world. You know, the society in which Paul was living and to which he wrote here to these Colossian believers, Greek society was very decadent between their use of alcohol and sexual immorality. They had temple prostitutes. It was common for men to have mistresses. There were gay baths, the Roman baths and things like that. All of that was part of their culture too. And we see that today where our society kind of wants to push the bounds, you know, and it's everywhere. It's in magazines and movies. It's on the Internet. It's big business. They use sex to try to sell everything, and they just kind of keep pushing it in your face. We need to guard our heart and what we watch. You know, in our society that wants to have all of this, what they think is freedom in these areas, then begins to wonder, why Why do we have such a problem with divorce? Or why do we have such a problem with sexually transmitted diseases? Or why do we have sexual crimes like rape and incense and pedophilia? And why are those things seeming to be rampant in our society? There's a connection between what we think about and what we do. And we've got to deal with the heart. Paul also includes greed on this list. Greed is the continual desire for more and more, whether it's money or sex or power. People pursue different things. And greed basically says, you know, that what I have, it's never enough. It's never enough. Greed is the desire for more and more things without regard to the needs of others. It's kind of like if I can grab my piece of the pie and I just kind of grab it and hold on to it, I don't need to share. Let somebody else get their own. I don't need to give or think about the concerns of other people greed is just plain selfishness it's the opposite of generosity it's the opposite of sacrifice and giving or understanding that we have a responsibility to our fellow man to care for and look out for them as well and to put it bluntly paul says that all of this all of this is idolatry I mean, we may not have a statue in our front yard of an idol. Most people don't in America. Some do still. But we have idols in our heart. And anything that comes before our relationship with God, anything that comes first in our life apart from God is an idol. Even good things. And so Paul speaks very frankly to the believers in the church in Colossae, and he speaks very frankly to us that we must put these things to death. And why is it important that we put these things to death? Well, he goes on to tell us in verse 6, it's because God hates them. God hates sexual sin. 
God has given to us this beautiful gift of love and sexual intimacy that is to be kept within the bonds of marriage. And what we've done as a society and as people is we have perverted that and distorted it and defiled it. And because of that, he says that God's wrath is coming. And he speaks of this future day of judgment that is to come when God will address these things. But God's wrath is already operating in our world today. Romans 1.18 and those verses that follow in Romans 1 tell how a part of God's judgment is He just gives people over to a depraved mind. When people have rejected the truth of His Word, God just gives them over. He gives them over step by step to do those things that are not natural. To do those things that are not a part of God's plan for our life. And people go farther and farther into their sin. They become hardened by it. They don't see it. They don't feel it, and they begin to call what is evil good and what is good evil. And the other reason why we need to put these things to death in our life is that we belong to Christ. And that behavior is not appropriate in our life. And he says of some in that culture, he said, you used to walk in these ways. You came to know Christ later in life. You used to walk in these things. They were part of your old way of life, but they are to be put to death, put behind you. They aren't appropriate in the family. It's like the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, no, no, Rick. We don't do that in God's family. Or no, Mary, or no, John, or no, we don't live like that as a child of the king. And too often people ignore the warnings that God has given to us. And they kind of think that it's not really going to matter. You know, I can do this. I'm different. It's not going to be this way. It's like a story that I read about a woman who had a pet raccoon. She had this pet raccoon that she had gotten when it was very young and she was taking care of it. And a friend of hers, Gary Richmond, was a zookeeper. And he came to her one day and he said to her that I want you to know that raccoons, when they hit 24 months, go through a glandular change. And after that, they often attack their owners. And you need to release that raccoon into the wild. A 30-pound raccoon can be equal to a 100-pound dog in a scrap. He's dangerous, and you need to release that raccoon. And he said, I remember what she said to me. She said, she listened politely, you know, to what I said, and then she said, it will be different for me. And she smiled, and she added that Bandit wouldn't hurt me. He just wouldn't. And three months later, this woman underwent plastic surgery for facial lacerations when that raccoon attacked her unprovoked. Bandit was released into the wild. And too often people think about sin and these things that God says are out of bounds. And they kind of look at them and they seem kind of attractive and they think in their heart, you know, it's okay. I can sleep with my girlfriend or I can sleep with my boyfriend and there's not going to be any consequences. I can do this. Or I can look at pornography on the internet and it's no big deal. It's not going to affect my marriage or it's not going to affect me. Or I can drink as much as I want or I can use pot or I can use meth and it's okay. I can control this. It won't bother me. And they ignore the warnings. And what does God say? In Galatians 6, 7 and 8, 
The scripture says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, and the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. That scripture is both a warning and a promise. It's a warning. Don't feed the old nature. Don't go there. Don't think that you can continue in these ways that are folly and sin and it's not going to affect you because you will reap what you sow. But on the other side, here is this wonderful promise that if we feed the Spirit, if we are growing in Christ's likeness, we will gain even all of the fruit that comes with having eternal life of joy and freedom and peace and encouragement that comes from being part of the body of Christ, all of those blessings that He promises in Christ will be ours in fullness. We must put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. And secondly, we must put aside anger and hurtful speech. He tells us in verse 8 that we are to rid ourselves of all of these things, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. When you think about those first three of anger, rage, and malice, they are heart attitudes that can lead to violent actions if they are not checked. I mean, Scripture acknowledges that anger is a normal human emotion. There are times when we get in situations that make us mad. We get angry or upset about something. That's okay. The Bible says, though, be angry and do not sin. Or don't let the sun go down on your anger. Or don't give the devil a foothold, a beachhead in your life. And so it recognizes that there are going to be things that will make us mad. And some things should make us mad when we see injustice in our world or cruelty. Or we see uh, things that happen that are not right and we want them to change. That's a good thing. The kind of anger that he's talking about here, though, is the anger that just steams. People are angry all the time. They're angry at life. They're angry at God. They're angry at people. They hold grudges. They want to get even. They have a malice in their heart. They have ill will or a mean spirit, and they want to see something bad happen to another person. Or that anger flies out in rage, and it hurts, and it abuses, and it mistreats other people. That's not to be a part of our life as a Christian. And in the same way, slander and filthy language, I mean, there are things like obscenities, swearing, crude jokes, foul-mouthed abuse. Those are not to have any place in the life of a Christian. We're just not to go there. There's to be this change in our heart. And if you've grown up in a home where that was part of your life or you're in a situation in the world now where that's all you hear, that wears on you, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it affects your spirit when you come out of that. I look at it like this, you know. If you've grown up in a home where um, smoking was a part of that home environment, or you smoked, you know, and you are there, I remember this when Gail's mom and dad uh, used to smoke, and uh, they both gave it up a number of years ago, but they used to, and we didn't. And we'd come back, and we'd stay there, and we'd have, you know, our suitcase where we were staying there, and we'd go home afterwards and open up that suitcase, and it just reeked. I mean, it was like, let's throw everything in the laundry right away. You know, and do it. Because when you're not living in that, you notice it more. 
And as a child of God, when you come to know Him and He's changed your life, you hear and you see those things and you are more sensitive to it. And you realize how inappropriate it is. There's no place for any of that in the life of a Christian. You may have heard the stories coming out of the Welsh revival back in the days when the miners used mules to help bring the coal out of the mines in England. A revival took place in those days and so many of the miners came to know Christ that their speech changed. And the humorous side effect was that was that the mules didn't understand the commands anymore. <laughs> you know, they just weren't using the profanity and the mules just kind of stood there wondering, what do we do? Praise God for the change that took place. You know, God wants to do that in our life. And it's not just these things. You know, these lists are not exhaustive. They're not complete. I mean, this list could include other things like gossip or bitterness or critical attitudes or insults or put-downs. Sarcasm even can be a part of those kind of things that just tear people down, you know, kind of have a superior attitude or look down on others. No, no, there's no place for that. Instead, we are to look for ways to encourage and build up and affirm. We're to think about those things that uh, lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ and help them to grow. And if we need to confront someone, we speak that truth in love. We come alongside a brother or sister. And we do it in love and we understand that we have issues in our life that we are dealing with and growing with too. And I, I come to you in that same way today. And I don't know where you're at in your relationship with Christ in terms of what you may be dealing with. I don't know if there's a secret sin in your life that you struggle with or not. I would guess that for some there are. And I, I speak this truth in love today for you as well. And that God wants us to experience freedom in our life. He wants us to experience joy, fullness of joy. He wants us to live in a way that honors Him. And all of us, every single one of us, have had to wrestle with sin in our life. I do. I mean, all of us have had to deal with areas of our life where we are giving it up to Christ. Putting the past behind. And learning to put on the things that are new. And it is a process. Some things change very quickly. Other things take more time and maybe a lifelong growth for you. And sometimes depending upon where you came from, where you started when you came to know Christ, there may be more baggage there that needs to be dealt with than for others who grew up in a Christian family and came to know Christ at a young age. God understands all of that. The important thing is that we admit it to Him, admit our sin, and lay it at His feet and make the choices to grow in Christ. That's why we come to the third point here where Paul says that we must stop lying to one another. It's interesting to me that Paul singles out lying as something that needs to change. And we see that in verse 9. He says, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So here are these three points that he's trying to make. I want you to put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. I want you to rid yourselves of things like these hard attitudes or hurtful speech. But now, specifically, 
I want you to stop lying to one another. They were doing it. I want you to stop. Now, it may have been that they just, lying had become so common that they, they didn't even see it as wrong. But I think it may be more that what Paul is saying is he understands lying is something that needs to change in our life if we are going to grow. We need to be honest about our sin if we are ever going to change. And you can think about somebody who's struggling with an addiction. If an addict is ever going to find freedom from their addiction, what do they need to do? The very first thing they need to do is to be honest and to admit it that I have a problem. I have a need in my life. And they need to admit it to themselves and to others. And it doesn't matter whether our struggle is with alcohol or drugs or sex or money or food. It doesn't matter. The starting point is the same. Victory starts with admitting our need and that we are powerless to change ourselves. I need help. I can't do this on my own. I've tried. I've tried to hold things together. I can't. I need Christ and I need someone who will help me in my life to hold me accountable. You see, we just can't do this on our own. We need people. We need the encouragement that comes from others. We need people who pray for us. We need people who will hold us accountable. And we need to make good choices ourselves. And here is this point that Paul makes then, that we have been given this new nature when we came to know Christ, a new nature in our life. But that new life needs to be renewed continually. And that's what he's talking about here. You have put on the new self. You have come to know Christ. But this new self, it is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its Creator. And the way that it is renewed continually is by the Word of God. I mean, when I think about Awana and these kids that have come to know Christ and they're hiding God's Word in their heart, God's going to use that to help them grow. And God's going to use His Word in our life too if we have that kind of steady diet. Put off, put on. Put off the old, put on the new. And feed your spirit on the Word of God. And as we grow, what begins to happen are these amazing things like verse 11. We begin to understand that the most important thing about a person is not their rank, it's not their income, it's not their ethnic group, it's not their social status, it's not any of those things. It is our relationship to Christ. Because Christ is all. And when we know Him, He is in all. He is in us. And He brings change. We need to put off the old way of life and put on the new. Daily, hourly, moment by moment. Another way to say it is this, that we need to starve the old nature and we need to feed the new nature. You put to death the old nature by starving it. And you put on the new by building into your life those habits of grace, of the word and prayer and fellowship and service and thinking of others and putting Christ first in our heart. I want to close by sharing a poem that was written by Portia Nelson. It's called An Autobiography of Her Life in Five Short Chapters. It's a poem that's used often in 12-step programs, and there's a good message here. 
She begins chapter 1. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk and I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. And it takes me forever a way to find a way out. You know, you think about people like that. That's where they are. They're falling into these pits and they want to blame everybody else or they want to blame society or their home or their family. It's somebody else's problem. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk and I pretend I don't see it. But I fall in again and I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. And it still takes a long time to get out. The third chapter, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. And you think about that. I mean, you know, there comes this point in our growth in Christ where we begin to recognize those things that we are doing and we come to the point where we say, you know what, i got to own that. I'm wrong. I need to change. It's my fault. I know what's going on. And you get up and you walk with Christ again. And then something begins to happen. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. I've learned enough now to start avoiding that and what to see it and recognize it and not go there. But you know the beauty comes in chapter 5 when I walk down another street. And those things are no longer a pull for me. They're not an interest. I just don't go there because God's changed my life. Where are you at in your walk with Christ? Are you struggling with sexual sin or with anger or with hurtful speech or with lying? Are you walking down the same street and falling into the same hole over and over again? It's time to find a new street. And the way that we do that is by confessing our sin, being honest with God, with ourselves. It's by telling somebody else who can help us who can pray for us and hold us accountable. It's by asking God to fill us with His Holy Spirit. And it's by starving the old and putting it to death and feeding the new in the Word of God and prayer. Let's pray. Father, as we come before You today, You know exactly what's going on in our life. And I pray that we would all be honest with you this morning. And if there's sin that we are wrestling with, that we would put that in your hands and give it to you and admit our sin and ask for your forgiveness. And then take that next step, whatever it is, to tell someone, to be honest about it, to ask somebody who can help us or pray with us or hold us accountable, to determine in our heart to set apart Christ as Lord and to allow you by your Holy Spirit to fill us and change us. To surrender those things to you. To starve the old and feed the new. God, help us to do that. That we might experience the joy and the freedom that you intend for all of us in Jesus Christ. Amen. And now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.